We're back. Announcement here at the top of the show. Marla is not going to be joining us uh, today or probably for a little while because of some exciting news. She uh, took a new position at the library. She's taking over as the adult services manager to replace Lizzie, who left for another library. We think Marla is going to do a great job, but she's got a lot of new responsibilities and she's not going to have time to do things like this podcast, at least for a while. So we are bringing the show back to its roots. Oh, yeah. We are back to, that's right, the the original content creators, (laughs) the gatekeepers of disruptive behavior, the Disco 2 since 1982. Yes. It's your old friends, Mike and Sarah. How you doing, Sarah? Oh, I'm doing uh, for sure. I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, but Marla's will be back in some capacity. You haven't heard the last of her. We're, we'll, we'll try to get her back for occasional segment here and there. Maybe do some Amazon Minute or some e-learning Minute or <laughs> the Makerspace Minute, of course. I'm sure we'll come back someday. But in the meantime, you're, you're stuck with us. And I think that's, that's going to be fun. Uh, a little history for the listeners that... Uh, this whole show is kind of grew out of the old uh, conversations that Sarah and I would have uh, at the circulation desk uh, in the library when, uh, you know, it'd be like a slow evening, not getting a lot of patrons, and we'd uh, talk about the pressing issues of the day. And we came up with a lot of um, these goofy segments, uh, some of which we still do here on the show. So it's going to be a fun time. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great time. So let's get into it. Right at the top here, we've got a couple of hot seats. I'm going to start with uh, our first hot seat is people who share passwords for Netflix. Did you see this there? Did you hear about this? Netflix is trying to crack down on password sharing now. We don't have to get into all the details of it, but it sounds like they're basically just going to maybe start randomly making people do sort of a two-factor login if they see someone signing into your Netflix from somewhere else. So it's uh, it's pretty much like their first like gentle step towards trying to crack down on password sharing. What do you think about that? I, I think it totally blows. I mean, <laughs> uh, Netflix is one of like 80 million streaming services these days. So who isn't at some point sharing a password to try to like watch one or two shows or something without having to sign up for a whole subscription? I think it's a little um, corporate gatekeeping and I don't like it. You know, I'm going to agree with you there. I don't I don't like it either. And my reason for that is I guess it's it's part of like sort of just a larger take about Internet, you know, piracy and and where we where we are with that whole kind of thing. I feel like, um, you know, you go back uh, 10, 15 years, um, you know, piracy was rampant on the internet. Uh, no one paid for any of these services. Everyone just, it was, it was the wild west. It was easy to download anything you wanted and no one was getting paid. And that's, you know, there's problems with that. That's, you know, compensation for artists and all of all of that good stuff. But I feel like the reason that um, people would do that so much is this notion that, like, back then, like, pirating things was easier than than paying for things. Like, people were willing to pay for things, but all of the methods by which you could legally pay for things were so much inferior to the, like, easiness of the pirating experience that sure. that um the people resorted to to doing that and i think we saw a great shift i think it was a positive thing um my favorite example is like uh spotify right um and and streaming music and when it became uh affordable when it when it became um easy to pay what what seems like a fair price to listen to basically whatever you want, almost everything you want. Um, people were happy to do it. And you saw music downloading, music piracy, you saw it like almost go away because 
the legal means became easier than the illegal means. And I think that's something that Netflix would do well to keep in mind here. Um, because like you said, there's a million streaming services now. So if you want to sh- stream TVs and TV and movies, uh, you have to, and you, and you want to be able to see um, all of the things that people are talking about, you might have to subscribe to five, six, seven, eight different services. And you hear it. People are getting really frustrated with that. And like you said, occasionally maybe somebody doesn't want to pay for uh, HBO Max or whatever, but they can borrow their friend's password for a while to see that one show. Um, I don't know. It doesn't sound like the most abusive thing in the world, and it keeps these things talked about. It's almost like free marketing in a way. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I, I don't like it. All, it feels like, yeah, sure, I'm sure they look at the numbers and say we're losing all this money on people sharing passwords, but I'm not sure if it's worth the effort of trying to really crack down um, to try to be this generation's, you know, Metallica versus Napster. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just not sure if it's if it's worth it, especially if you're Netflix, when you've basically won in this, you know, this is like, they are so much ahead of everyone else in like streaming subscriptions that this does not seem like a worthwhile battle to, to fight, you know, just like be happy while you're ahead Netflix. Like this is the same company. Let's not forget whose CEO literally said that their biggest competition was sleep. (laughs) It's like trying to keep people watching instead of going to sleep. So like this doesn't seem worth it. I would say they should let that go. Yeah, it doesn't seem worth it. I think that like we forget that we're uh, putting up these barriers to access to these things isn't going to stop people from getting to them, whether that's legally or illegally. So if you're trying to like get more people to use your service, this is not the way to go about it. Like I I really see, I think it's easier to say, to imagine that if you share your password with someone and they are watching Netflix for a little bit and they're like, you know what, this is cool. I'm, I'll get my own subscription. Um, that's more likely to happen than someone not being able to share their password, getting completely closed off from Netflix and like being like, you know what, I'm whatever, I'm just going to rip it off of YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that was, I feel like that was a spicy take that we just started off with. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not that spicy. <laughs> um, let me, let me move to my next hot seat. Uh, we have got, I feel like this is the third or fourth time we've mentioned this on this podcast, but um, someone else is trying to do a TikTok clone. Uh, this time it's YouTube, uh, who has a new a new thing called YouTube Shorts, which is very transparently uh, an attempt to rip off TikTok. We saw this before with uh, Instagram was doing this. Um, it feels like everyone loves to try to rip off these these hot new internet platforms and i think it kind of i think this is another thing that kind of stinks um i guess what i what bothers me is so i i get that sometimes you can build off of what someone else has done and create something new uh in fact um I think we kind of do a lot of that in in the library world when, you know, when we were putting our tech team together, you know, a year and a half ago or or so, and we were trying to come up with uh, classes we could do in the library. We didn't start from scratch. We we took templates from other libraries. We modified them. We used them, uh, catered them to like our, our own patrons needs. I think that's fine. But in these cases, it's like, something happens where a new company is successful with a new like social platform like TikTok, it becomes huge. And then everyone else says, okay, how about if we release that exactly? (laughs) (laughs) It's a lack of imagination, to be honest. (laughs) And we've seen these sort of things really work to eliminate the competition, like with uh, Instagram stories uh, really took over and kind of 
boosted um, Snapchat out of the leading seat for that kind of content. Um, however, I don't see this happening with YouTube Shorts. Um, I've been, I've seen them pop up. I'm on YouTube a lot. It's like a not a great thing. I spent too much time on YouTube. Um, and I've seen a couple shorts, and it's it doesn't have the the je ne sais quoi of of TikTok. I think uh, TikTok has done a really good job of separating themselves in the market and um, providing a service or a platform that was a completely original compared to what everyone else was on and what everyone else was providing uh, the consumer at the time. So. I don't see this YouTube shorts being that successful. I think TikTok has really cornered that market. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with you. I don't think it's going to work either. I think, um, I think in general, this doesn't really work. I think like you Snapchat stories, that was like the one time that it worked when uh, Instagram copied that. But I feel like um, that was the one exception. And I think it was just that Snapchat never had the, um, widespread appeal of um, something like TikTok. And they didn't kill Snapchat. They just kind of slowed it down and sort of kept it as a smaller player in the scene. Uh, but I think that was the only time this worked. I think I don't think once you're once you are to a certain size and you've captured uh, that part of, uh, of a certain market to that level, I don't think it works. Uh, it's like when people try to release um, you know, a competitor to YouTube itself. It's like that ship has sailed, you know. Um, people know where they want to go for certain kinds of things, and people who want to see the stuff that's on TikTok aren't going to go somewhere else to get it. So, yeah, I think it's uncreative, it's it's lazy, it's anti-competitive, and it doesn't really work. No, and I think what they're they're underestimating the sort of target audience for what TikTok provides. Like TikTok is an app that's run mostly by Gen Z and used and consumed by Gen Z. And they're the ones creating most of the content. And the reason for that is because I, I, they're drawn to this like shorter form situation. You don't go to YouTube for short form anything really. You go to YouTube for long form video content. And um, making it a short form platform is not, it just, just doesn't make any logical sense, especially to the users that they're trying to target, which is Gen Z. Yeah, I think that's totally right. Yeah, you, you don't go to YouTube for that. You go to YouTube because you want to see, like, you know, uh, 10-minute videos on, like, best new Android apps of April 2021. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mike goes to YouTube for it. That's what I go for. It's great for that. Um, but if I want to see, you know, these uh short funny clips or whatever well actually you know where i would go i would go to vine but vine's gone because twitter <laughs> killed it which we talk about every week but i don't understand why <laughs> i don't understand why either vine was so great if vine if that's one way i can see someone really competing with tiktok if if twitter brought vine back <laughs> then they've had they'd, they'd have a real competition but youtube uh i don't i don't see it if there was a tech team podcast drinking game that uh there'd definitely be a square for um when we mention vine <laughs> um right. enough about that uh oh you know what you know who else is being copied clubhouse are you are you not familiar with clubhouse Mm-mm. well clubhouse is um an iphone app that is uh, i don't know if you ask me it sounds like the lamest thing ever but it's super hot for for whatever reason. It's it's basically um, it's basically like have you are you familiar with the concept of a, a party line? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised <laughs> you've heard of it because you're not a hundred years old. But <laughs> yeah, that that was a stretch for me. Like I just I missed that whole phenomenon for uh, from. By quite a bit, actually, but I've heard of it, yeah, for sure. But it's like it's like that. It's like you know, you could you could set up a room on Clubhouse and you could send out you know a message to 
your followers or whatever and say like, hey, I'm I'm talking about TikTok over here on Clubhouse. And then all these people can join your room. And it's just like a big audio, you know, room of, of people talking to each other. It sounds like just I don't know why people do this, um, but it has um, it's, it's become very popular, so popular that Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Spotify and Slack are all releasing Clubhouse clones um, trying to get in on this party line action uh, for whatever reason. So, yeah. Guess who's back this week, Mike? The party yeah, line is back. The party line is back. Yeah. Some, some kind of, you know, technology that we had like 100 years ago is all the rage. Um, no, I don't I, get it, but it's just another example of, of big tech copying, uh, copying itself. Now, I'm too young to have ever experienced the what I can only assume is chaos of a party line. Uh, do you have any experience of what that like experience is like? No, I don't, because even when I was a kid and I would see that get referenced, I was like, why would anyone want to do that? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding why this is coming back. Like it must be for people with large followings to be able to connect with their, their, you know, follower base or whatever. But how many people can say that they have that? I don't know. So I feel like either, either this is something that is popular because people are sort of still in that quarantine mode of being like desperate to hang out with other people in some kind of way. And it's going to be something that kind of fades away once all of this is, you know, back to quote unquote normal, either that or this is like the future. And we are now old people who are, you know, complaining about it. And we don't get it. Oh, maybe, maybe I've crossed over and I'm no longer young. <laughs> it just seems to me like, why would you want to put yourself through that? It's hard enough to sit through uh to scroll through a comment section on any given post on any given platform why would you want to subject yourself to the, having to interact that deeply with so many strangers <laughs> i don't know i don't get it it sounds more like a nightmare to me but uh but if people like it hey you know by all means <laughs> enjoy it it's okay to like an app <laughs> uh next up is a segment that i'm calling I'm a power user of the internet. Shout out, Zuckerberg. Um, <laughs> and uh, this week's power user story is um, about the Microsoft Edge web browser, which is rolling out vertical tabs. Did you see this, Sarah? Yeah, I'm looking at the what you linked, the little GIF they have of using it. Pretty appealing. I, I kind of like this idea, the way... So for folks listening at home, basically, instead of uh, you can switch from having tabs in the traditional way to having them uh, displayed vertically on a dashboard on sort of the left side of your uh, browser window. And it looks pretty neat. It looks pretty nice. It does. It's uh, it's, it's kind of appealing uh, to arrange them that way. Um I guess I maybe think because just, I think it's just that like the novelty of it has got me excited. Because <laughs> 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 we're at, uh, we talk about this a lot, but there's nothing really new or exciting to web browsing anymore. Um, but hey, maybe the answer to that is vertical tabs, Mike. But you are right about that. There, there does seem to be uh, nothing new in that space. So uh, I give them credit for that. Although it's not a new idea, you could do this on. Um, you could do this on Firefox like forever. Oh, no way. I don't use Firefox <laughs> at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, people, there, there'd be a lot of people who um, swore by using Firefox be because of this, because uh, they're, they, Firefox allowed you to use um, extensions to do these like vertical tabs um, or what they would call like tree tree style tabs where your tabs would, you know, arrange like a in a tree shape. Um, and uh, some people really love that. So it's not like a new idea. It's just, um, you know, nobody really uses Firefox anymore. So this is uh, probably new to, to some people. Um, I think it's fine. I think if you 
if you enjoyed, you want to browse in a different way, try it out. Um, but my larger issue with this whole tab arranging business, which we see uh, other browsers like uh, Chrome, Chrome itself is doing um, a new thing with uh, tab groups where they are making it easier for you to combine tabs into these little groups and they can be color coded so that you know, all your tabs from a certain website are grouped together. Um, it's just to me another symptom of this, this whole fascination that some people have with opening too many tabs. Stop the tab hoarding, Sarah. <laughs> hey, sometimes it's necessary. <laughs> I like, don't know. You know, I what I do a lot is I'll have like a maybe a Google search open um, or something and I'll, I'll click through a bunch of, I'll like open up different tabs for a bunch of the, the search results and then go through them that way. So at any given moment, especially if I'm searching something or doing some research on Google, I'll have like six or seven tabs open. Oh, I can't stand it. It makes me, makes me anxious when I see too many tabs up there. Basically, as soon as I, as soon as the tabs start becoming smaller to fit on the on the top bar of the browser i have to start closing stuff i can't take it <laughs> i need like five tabs maximum Nah, that's not enough <laughs> uh, all right well if you're a tab hoarder check out vertical tabs might help you out even that though will not make me switch to uh microsoft edge <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, not doing yeah. it. Not doing that's it. Yeah, uh, that's a hard sell for a for a Mac person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next up, we've got an uh. You think there have been some studies come out? You'll never believe this, Sarah, but uh, Google through the Chrome browser collects more data about users than uh, any other web browsers do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> And uh, also, uh, apparently, uh, if you use an Android phone, Google collects about 20 times more info about users than Apple does on iPhones. Um, so that's another, uh, uh, you think? <laughs> a, uh, a company that uh, whole business is based on um, uh, advertising and selling more targeted ads, collects a whole lot of data about people who use its products and services. And you, you took this opportunity of me bringing this up to talk about Apple um, announcing some kind of business about protecting the users from ad targeting. Do you want to say something about that? Yeah, I just want to say um, cool throne iPhone users because Apple rolls, rolls out protections from ad targeting for its users, which... If you needed more of a reason to switch over, then you already uh, then is already available to you. Why not protect your data a little bit more? <laughs> this is a point that like the more that we the more info that comes out about this, the harder it gets for me to um, <laughs> try to try to defend it and try to be Mr. Google. But um, I mean, I don't know. At this point, you know, it's just like, yeah, I'm aware of it. They collect a ton of data. They sell it to advertisers. Uh, it stinks. Obviously, the 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 pro privacy model of Apple is is preferable. Um, but at the end of the day, it always comes down to well, that that privacy. When you go with Apple, it comes at a price. <laughs> and uh, uh, I have to I have to make a decision between well how much do I value the privacy versus um, being a little more careless with giving away my data and the price turns out to be uh, I don't know about a thousand dollars for an iPhone <laughs> <laughs> that's where the price got too high and I said just have at it Google <laughs> all right but you know. This, this business with Apple and privacy, they're not doing it. I want to I want to stress that I don't think they're doing any of this as some sort of altruistic, you know, endeavor. Um, they use privacy as a selling point because it sells. Um, you know, they're not really that concerned about like the public good. Um, they promote privacy because that that makes money for them. Yeah, shocker. 
a massive corporation doing what's profitable. Can't <laughs> believe it. Yes, this is like. Did you see this 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 other story about? Uh, they finally just came right out and said the reason they won't um, allow iMessage on Android is is because of this thing that I've been I've been telling you for years because they like that whole peer pressure around the green bubbles and the blue bubbles, and they know that if they were to let iMessage on other platforms, then that would make it easier for people to switch phones. So they won't do it, even though it would be a trivial thing for them to do, and it would be like just a goodwill gesture to like the whole world to to release like a secure messaging platform that like everyone would love to use. But they don't do it. They don't do it because they don't think it's a profitable move. Uh, I mean, you know what I think about this whole like blue bubble, green bubble thing. It's real. It's I know it's real, but it's so ridiculous that people are letting themselves be peer pressured because of a color of a bubble on the group chat. It's like, that sounds like such a middle school problem. (laughs) (laughs) It happens all the time. (laughs) The, uh, the, the, the class barrier of like Apple versus Edward, it's a real thing. Let us not forget the famous story when, uh, when your mom wouldn't let you switch to Android. Oh yeah. (laughs) Because of how it would look in a job interview. <laughs> That's still an amazing, amazing story. Yeah, she said it's not professional to have an Android phone. <laughs> so it, it's real. The struggle is real. Yeah, I guess. It's just anyone listening out there, don't let yourself be bullied by anyone who thinks they're superior to you because they've got a blue bubble. <laughs> that person's obviously a jerk <laughs> like you know it takes it takes two to be bullied I think it's a good point and we are nothing if not an anti-bullying podcast here oh yeah uh, uh, next up Sarah I've got a really hot topic and that is the Snyder Cut <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah not really that hot I think uh, this was hot like a month ago <laughs> <laughs> We're just now getting to. Uh, do, I think I think people have moved on completely. But remember, remember all the all the uproar over the Snyder cut there. I do. People were. Uh, I guess there were two camps. People who were like so excited that he finally got his version of this movie out, um, and people who still think he's a bad director, which I'm part of the latter. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't have any opinion on the matter because I never saw this movie. What was the, what was the actual movie even called? Um, what was this yeah. Batman, Superman, or something? Um, it's the Justice League. Oh. You know, we're into taglines in the, on this podcast. So you would love the tagline. Oh, what's the tagline? Justice is gray. <laughs> is that what it's? That's really it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's not bad. Um, <laughs> but when these things start happening, I have a thing about these director's cuts and these extended editions of movies. My thing with all of that is like, I never have the time for that. Um, when I watch movies, and I watch a lot of movies, I only care about seeing the original like, theatrical edition. Anything else... Uh, I'm sorry, but that's just that's for nerds with too much time on their hands. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't count. I want to see the real version that they put out in the theaters. I don't care if the director had to compromise their vision to get that movie out. That's the one that got made. That's the one that counts. Wow, that's a hot take, Mike. <laughs> I feel like we're really keeping it spicy today. Here. We really are. It's all bottled up. You know, we haven't got to do the show in a while, so, like, it's all just pouring out. <laughs> um, I also don't like I, – I don't know a ton about this, but I read that, like, the studio was was basically, uh, to use a, a, the same word, it was kind of bullied into releasing this Snyder Cut by the, by the Snyder fans or whatever. They, like, just launched these fan campaigns to, like, put all this pressure on them to, to put this movie out. And um, I got to say again here, 
I think this whole fan culture, fandom thing that, that people do these days is like, I don't get it. It's like, it's, it's out of hand. Just the notion that like people call themselves a fan as like an identifying term. It, it seems ridiculous to me. Like being a fan is not, is not something you can have as an identity, you know, like, like being someone who likes movies is not, that's not an identity. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. But, you know, again, you know, I'm middle-aged, so what do I know? Well, I think, like, I don't know. I, I grew up on Tumblr where it, there were a lot of different fandoms, and it, it was a big part of pe- how people identified themselves, um, at least their presence on these websites. Um, I think it's totally fine to have a community where you share an interest. You know, it's a it's really... It can be pretty innocent. I mean, of course, there are drawbacks. There's gatekeeping and uh, stuff like that. But um, I think that there's nothing wrong with being a fan of something. However, when you cross over to the port point where you think that fans should have more of a say on how media gets shaped than the people who are traditionally shaping it, like auteurs or directors authors writers uh producers artists musicians that gets a little sticky for me i think that uh in my perfect world we'd keep these things separate where we'd let the people who are creating create what they want to um which is kind of the thing about the snyder cut I, i guess he wasn't he didn't he was under all this pressure to like or something i think his uh there was a lot of script changes and um, his Snyder's daughter died. So he wasn't able to take over the post-production of the justice league, which is why his fans argue that uh, it's not his movie necessarily. So I'm all for Snyder getting um, the final cut on his movie. That's, that's great. Am I for fans dictating what gets in that, in that cut or dictating what authors do am I for fan service to being how we produce media not at all yeah and just uh the the sort of like sense of entitlement to use one of Sarah's favorite words that (laughs) these so-called fans have or the way they get outraged as as fans of something it's like get get over yourself you know a thing that really bothers me is when you see this a lot when like uh, older movies get remade and fans of the original get all mad online about it, mm-hmm. you know, to go back to something like the, the Ghostbusters movie that had, it was with all of the women uh, actresses in it. Um, and you would have like all these angry fans. Oh, they're ruining my childhood or whatever. And it's like, Dude, get a grip. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I hate that uh, like ruining my childhood. Like your childhood happened, bro. It's over. <laughs> it totally happened. Guess what? No one's making you see the, the new movie. Uh, guess what else? Nothing was changed about the original one. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know, um, I don't do that stuff. I love the I love the movie RoboCop, one of my favorite movies ever. They did a remake of that what like ten years ago. I didn't bother to see it. I don't even know if it it actually didn't look that bad, but <laughs> like why why would I go see it? I've already seen the best possible version of this, so uh, I'll skip that. That's, but I'm not going to be mad about it. <laughs> it didn't do anything to the original one. Um, I don't know. I, I I could go on about this, but um, yeah, I don't get it. So maybe this is another area where I'm out of touch, but I think folks need to get over themselves. Agreed. Or like be a fan, yeah. but keep it to yourself, bro. Like keep it, keep it with to you and your friends and your community. Be a fan and don't be toxic. <laughs> this is probably another example of us ranting about the internet, but I, that's probably what people used to do it's just that now they have all of these platforms to um you know to to publicly rant about things 
Sure. I mean, publicly rant, but don't, like, we don't have to demand things from studios. We don't have to demand things from creators. Like, just be a, it's getting very, um, misery out here. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's a great, that's a great reference. Look, Sarah always has a Stephen King reference ready. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... (laughs) We have uh, a cancel culture update. Uh, I believe this one comes from you, Sarah. You wanted to go ahead and preemptively cancel all chefs. Am I right? Well, I want to put a caveat on this. <laughs> not all chefs. Okay. Not, not chefs in, uh, who own their own small business. Not chefs that are out here uh, feeding communities. I want to specifically cancel chefs from fine dining restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> this is my proposal to cancel uh, those kinds of chefs. So I've been on Hulu, uh, yet another one of the million streaming services I have. <laughs> and I was rewatching um, episodes of Top Chef because I found a lot of comfort in that show when it was first on TV. And so I was just looking for something to stream and I was watching Top Chef. And then I realized in retrospect that everyone on that show was a massive jerk. <laughs> they were all so mean to each other and so cutthroat. Um, and I don't see any reason for that. Like food is, you're supposed to put love and, and your heart into food, not, um, cutthroat competitiveness now granted i'm watching a competition show where they're competing for like i don't know a million dollars or whatever the prize was but they're just so mean and gordon ramsay has made a career off of just being mean and i don't see see what the need for that is that's my thing that's all i had to say about that Let's not it's be jerks. Really, it's a really, really good point. Uh, not a day goes by that you don't read about somebody getting canceled for uh, behaving in less offensive ways than like any chef who's ever appeared on TV. Um, yeah, like a lot of swearing, a lot of, on, especially on Top Chef. If you go back and watch the early seasons, there's a lot of sexism. There's a lot of homophobia. It's like we don't need that. I don't understand. It's a it's an entire profession that uh, basically has a uh, a get out of jail free card <laughs> from being canceled. Uh, so that's good. That's good on you to point that out. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have a segment that I'm going to call Mike makes a non-political statement about the president. Ooh, can't wait for this. So you know how, uh, you know, we don't talk politics on the show. We're not a political show, uh, but occasionally. Um, I like to give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, like even even with our former president, uh, I, I used to give, give him credit for his tweets because sometimes he was funny on Twitter, and I have to be honest. Um, our current president, Joey B. <laughs> Joey B. Uh, you know what I like about Joey B.? What, Mike? I like how he calls people Jack. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like when he's when he's getting riled up about something and he's like, listen here, Jack. <laughs> it's like it's it's such a strong old man move. <laughs> <laughs> like like when was the last time that was a thing when uh, a, a sort of derisive name you could call somebody was just a common name? <laughs> I don't know when that was a thing, but I like that he's he's doing that and keeping that alive. That's great. That's it. That's my <laughs> statement. <laughs> That's really funny. Next, I need to come in hot on something here. In honor of our former coworker Lizzie, I'm going to be coming in hot. Did you see, Sarah, this this comment that I posted um, in our rundown? This is a comment that I saw on uh, on Hacker News, which is um, a, a great web forum. And somebody was ranting in this comment about uh, trying to get a credit card charge overturned or something. And if you do me a favor, Sarah, uh-huh. this this uh, middle paragraph here, uh-huh. just, read, read, just read that, and, and I'll tell you why I'm irritated with this. 
All right, just the middle paragraph? Just the middle paragraph. Okay. And I disagree about the chargeback process on Visa slash MasterCard. I've only ever had to do it once. It took a very long time to open. The experience lasted close to 12 weeks, and I had to appeal the finding to a quote-unquote manager. When the company I filed the chargeback was simply said, quote, nah, it's valid, and Visa attempted to file it against B. And then look at the last the last paragraph says, even the initial call was a typical call center experience that took over an hour and a couple long holds. This person is describing the most mundane thing in the world, which is like, I don't know, trying to get a charge overturned. And they use the word experience twice. Yeah. <laughs> me so, so much. These things are not experiences. And I don't know when we all started talking like this. Um, when we all started talking like we were, you know, middle managers at a marketing firm or something. <laughs> um, like, when did this happen? You know what we used to say? We used to say, ah, I had to, I had to get on, you know, uh, I, had to, I had to call Visa and they put me on hold. It sucked. <laughs> we didn't say it was a typical call center experience. Like, what is wrong with people? You know what? Yeah, that's a weird way of framing that. <laughs> I just, I don't get it. I don't like how we, we talk like uh, we've all been infected with, like, you know, marketing marketing brain. Uh, to be honest, I don't like when people go around saying the word devices. No one used to say word, the word devices in our ordinary life, like, Oh, I, I enjoy that I can consume all this content across all of my devices. You know, you don't work at a marketing firm, people. You don't have to talk like this. <laughs> I guess everyone's kind of like, I mean, if I can explain it away a little bit, everyone, I mean, the the experience of being on social media, there you go, I use the word. <laughs> um, being on social media is kind of marketing yourself to the world. So I think that these terms came into popularity once you start viewing everything that you do as marketable, who you are is marketable. So like, yeah, anything that happens to you is an experience. Oh, I just, I, I can't stand it so much. You know, it's not an ex a, a, a trip to France is an experience, you know, <laughs> sitting on hold with visa is not an experience. Uh, you know, another one that bothers me is when people say price point. <laughs> when did everybody start doing that? Hey, hey, this is the this is the best laptop you can get at this price point. That's not what it is. <laughs> this is the best you can find at this price. You don't need the word point. That's true. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, we're uh, all like we work for Google. It's weird. <laughs> yeah, it's like what are we even doing here anymore? Anyway, okay, that's enough of my ranting about that. So, uh, are you ready, Sarah, to explain a headline from The Verge? Let's do it. All right. So, your headline, for, for folks who don't know, this is a segment that we do sometimes where Sarah's going to try to explain uh, a headline to somebody from, let's say, oh, 15 years ago. Um, your headline this week, Sarah, is... Soon, you'll be able to buy a one-foot-tall figurine of chilled cow's lo-fi chill beats anime girl. <laughs> what, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Okay, so uh, chilled cow is a username, so don't worry about that weirdness. Lo-fi <laughs> chill beats is a genre of music that... Uh, surprisingly goes really well with any sort of studying working from home it's the perfect background noise um the one foot tall figurine that's that's explainable the anime girl though the anime girl that's the sort of clincher here what is an anime girl <laughs> uh basically anyone who's ever listened to the chilled cow lo-fi beats um channel on youtube or spotify is familiar with that picture of a girl it's like an illustrated picture of a girl at her desk uh and a cat and she's like writing at her desk and there's a cat in the background or whatever that is an anime girl she's drawn in the style of anime um 
anime, for those who I definitely didn't know 15 years ago, is a <laughs> Japanese style of animation that is super cool and aesthetic. Um, and a lot of people borrow that aesthetic for their art. So, yeah, you can... <laughs> Why there's a figurine of this anime girl? I could not explain that to you. I guess it's just popular enough that people want it, but... Uh, you know, it's a weird world out here in 2021. <laughs> well, let me try to play the part of the, the person from 15 years ago who would ask about this. Uh, so, I, okay, I get it that you're selling this 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 figurine. So it's kind of like like an action figure or something, right? Yeah. Um, and it's for this uh, this character that, that that plays this type of music. Where do you where do people know? Does this do you watch this on TV? Ooh, no, you don't. <laughs> no, you watch Wait. it on YouTube. You know about YouTube, don't you? Oh, YouTube's you know what? I've, I've heard about. I think I've heard about this YouTube. That's 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 that website where you watch pictures of like cats falling off of beds. Yes, and <laughs> <laughs> there are. Uh, there's lots of. Uh, content. This is a new buzzword that you don't know about yet. But there's lots of content on YouTube. One of them being like an eight-hour video of just this girl and some music. Uh, I don't know if I understand this place you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> People watch this. People watch it. They don't watch it. They play it in the background. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and scene ah <laughs> uh, well thanks for that Sarah um, I would like to now present a new segment this segment is called Mike presents the most 80s commercial of all time part one right here on our show we can reveal the most 80s commercial of all time did you watch this commercial Sarah I did. I did. So for this will be this will be posted in the show description. So you gotta watch this. It's a 30 second clip. It's fantastic. This is a commercial from Jordash Jeans. The name of the commercial is The Jordash Look, which is apparently also the song that plays in the commercial. <laughs> <laughs> this commercial comes from 1984. Uh, the best way that I could describe it is uh uh a group of young people sort of frolicking on a beach um, while decked out in, in Jordache jeans. <laughs> and it's incredible. First of all, Sarah, what did you think of it? Did you like this commercial? I loved it. Um, I thought the sort of idiosyncrasy of um, having people on a beach fully clothed with jeans on was just... <laughs> Fantastic. The song, a banger. The hairstyle, bangers. The the dance moves, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is not the kind of dancing you see on TikTok, folks. This is the kind of dancing that only comes from teen angst in the 1980s. <laughs> I love it. I love fantastic. it so, so much. Uh, the reason that I'm picking this one as most 80s commercial of all time is I feel like this one is the perfect blend of like mainstream 80s with the more um, I guess visually overpowering 80s uh, style that you would have seen maybe in the first few years of the 80s if that makes sense it's like this is like 80s for middle America right here. I mean, I know that everyone in the video, in the commercial, they all look like, you know, fashion models. But aside from that, it's very relatable. You know, it's not like harsh. It's not like angular new wave 80s. It's like, this is like, this is like 80s for the mall, you know, like for your local mall, right? It's like, uh, it's like you could picture yourself wearing these clothes. They're not, they're not that crazy 80s looking it's like 80s for the masses if that makes any sense it's like we all could like visualize ourselves, you know rocking the jordash look even though like i was you know a kid wearing like you know my rustler jeans from walmart <laughs> <or> whatever <laughs> but like 
But like I could see this commercial. I I could picture myself like when I grow up, I'm going to be cool. I'm going to hang out with my, you know, attractive, fashionable friends in, in Jordash gear. For some reason, every friend group in these commercials will only have one ethnic looking person. <laughs> only, only one. <laughs> no more. Um, more than one. And we're gonna uh, we're gonna dance around on the on the on the beach, and we're not worried about getting you know sand in our jeans because we're just we're just too cool. And we're gonna dance and snap our fingers aggressively. Um, <laughs> it's a fantastic commercial, total it's time great. capsule. Highly recommend. Ten out of ten stars. Would watch again. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, it's time for our favorite bad radio segment, which is Sarah Reads a Meme. Woo! I can't wait for this. In, in real time, I'm going to post this meme. Sarah's going to look at it and try to describe it for us. Are you ready, Sarah? I'm ready. Okay, here comes your meme. All right. <laughs> Oh, this is a good one. This is going to be so hard to describe. <laughs> okay. So uh, there's text and there's a photo. And the text says, car, turn slightly to the side. And then the groceries, and this is where the photo comes in. <laughs> and the photo can only be described as, like, weird billion uh, like figures on a dance floor that's all lit up at neon. <laughs> There's text on the picture that says they're grooving. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the meme uh, is describing that phenomenon when you turn your car and your groceries kind of <laughs> completely shift in the back. <laughs> But they're grooving. <laughs> I love this meme. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. It happens every time. Um. <laughs> and on that note, we will wrap things up. We will try not to have such a long delay before the next episode comes out. But thanks to all the listeners for sticking with us. And. Until next time, Sarah. Keep it spicy. <laughs> I only <laughs> remembered that because you mentioned it earlier. <laughs> oh, I sure did because this was a spicier episode than usual. It really was. And uh, and so until next time, you came here to look at me to get the old scent back again, didn't you? Smell <laughs> <Not> yourself. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.